0: Hi, hola, hello, bienvenido, and welcome back, or welcome to Mentors Today. Ileana, it's fun when we record so many episodes in any particular week that we basically see each other every day. We spend like at least an hour together every day. So how are you, buddy?
1: Hola, Ro. I'm getting better because I was sick. You were. And now my voice is improving.
0: You are. You you sound better. You went to a cool concert last night in guadalajara so life is good this week yeah
1: i went to a concert yesterday the 1975
0: concert awesome (laughs) i did not go to a concert i just walked the dog so that's my that's my life (laughs) Uh, but i am going to i am going to an event tonight so i'll be doing a little entrepreneurial economy stuff here in la all right but today speaking of friends today we're super excited to be joined by heather carter heather's the co-ceo at the (laughs) riverbank Heather is an experienced startup operator who spent a decade taking nascent concepts from vision to fruition. As the former VP of operations for The Riveter, Heather used her knowledge gained in co-working to launch the Coterie Club, a smarter, more efficient business for the new kind of work from home, hybrid work landscape, and then brought that vision back kind of full circle with founder and co-CEO Amy Nelson to give rebirth to a new The Riveter post-pandemic. Heather has a career in startups, enjoys frenetic energy, high stakes environments of startups and loves to manage the work stress and pressures in stride. She's very active in the L.A. community, is a board member at the Beverly Hills Women's Club, is an advisor for Halo and a mentor at Backstage Capital. When not working, Heather, who attended Arizona State University, enjoys the simpler things like long walks in Santa Monica on the beach, hiking in the Temescal Canyon or dining out at her favorite restaurants across L.A. Heather always, no matter where her bio shows up in social media or online, always gets a shout out to her husband, Paul, who she considers to be her most supportive teammate and partner, and she's a mom, and I'm pretty sure it's a baby girl. And since I'm a girl dad, we wanna hear that story about being a mom to, to a girl in today's world, especially when you're running a company like The Riveter. So Heather Carter, welcome to Mentors Today.
2: Well, hello. Thank you for that glowing bio too kind
0: most of it was true it's easy because it's you (laughs) it's just right it's just it's just words that are about you so the glowingness is you're you're the glow that's awesome i'll
2: take it thank
0: you yeah so was i was I correct you are a mom of a of a a baby girl
2: i am although she is uh three and a half and so not a baby anymore which is sad to me because i love being a mother but yes, yeah, Paloma is her name. I love
0: that. Oh, what a beautiful name.
1: Thank you. That's nice. Why did you pick a name in Spanish? You know,
2: so um, my husband's last name is Pruitt and we wanted a P name. Um, neither one of us are Hispanic, but I just loved the meaning of the name. It means dove and it's the symbol of peace. Yeah. And I thought it was beautiful. So Yeah,
0: I love it. And I... I will tell you, no matter three and a half years old or 30 years old, I still call my daughter my baby girl. So that's why I refer to your daughter as a baby
1: girl. Oh, thank you, my baby. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Heather, we are super happy to have you here. And before we listen to the story behind the reverter, we want to know more about you. As we can listen, you have an accent different than the USA. So I want to know, how do you end up living in the USA? Since I noticed maybe you are from the UK and can you tell us a little bit of your journey becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah,
2: absolutely. So, um, I am actually, I was born in the US. Okay. So I'm a dual citizen of the UK and the US. I was born in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, my father, American, my mother's a Brit. Okay. So I separated when I was two. And my mother took us back to, and I was raised in a pretty small town in England um, from the age of two to eighteen, which is when I left and came back to America. Okay,
0: and now, and now, now we know how you found your way. You answered the question how you found your way back to ASU. <laughs> this is the return to Scottsdale. Yes, this is the return to Scottsdale story. Now we know.
2: Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So my father lived in Scottsdale and, you know, growing up in Europe, I didn't see him much. And having this uh, passport to the US, I really wanted to take advantage of that. Right. And I was curious and I had um, visions of grandeur for myself and off to the bright lights that was America. So yeah, ASU was just kind of a natural place for me to land with my dad being in uh scottsdale so
0: no, it makes sense how do, how do we go from the bright lights of the u.s and the bright lights of scottsdale to the bright lights of la
2: the even brighter lights of la well yeah so this is kind of the story is very much um indicative of just who i am in general which is impulsive and less impulsive as i get older but <laughs> impulsive and and also just uh, really opportunistic and excited about life and have a pretty high appetite for risk. So I was living in Scottsdale. I was um, working as a, in a marketing position, kind of low level. I was like in my early, early 20s and I was cocktail waitressing and I didn't really have much going on, all things be told. And one day I decided to load my car up and drive west. I had a really good girlfriend that had done the same thing, not the way I did it, but had moved to LA maybe 6 months prior. So I knew I had a couch to sleep on when I got here. But yeah, that was there was no plan. I just decided to do it and I thought what's the worst that could happen, which is pretty much my mantra for all things. And so I was like, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'll just turn back around, but let's just see what I can do here. So, yeah, I arrived and slept on her couch for about three months until I got my act together. <laughs> yeah, and that was like
0: 15 years ago. I'm sorry. I spoke, I spoke over. Did you say it was like 15 years ago?
2: I think so. Actually, I've never done the full math, but, well, about 13 years ago. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, all right. So, so some context on us. So, I also went to ASU. I'm not from Scottsdale originally. My daughter was born in Scottsdale. She did not go to ASU. Uh, I eventually did pack up a truck and drive from Arizona to Southern California. Uh, <laughs> but I've been out here. T- I've been out here about twice as long as you, uh, almost maybe twenty-five years. This year, uh, going on twenty-six. So, and and I think, and I had a job when I landed, which was not it, it was the beginning of a plan. There wasn't a whole lot of a plan beyond that job, but I at least had a job when I landed.
2: I like your style, though. Yeah, you paved the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a little bit, yes, a little bit. I was out here. See, you didn't even know. I was paving the way for you from
1: <laughs> that dusty
0: drive across the state of Arizona to Southern California and the, the ocean. Right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I love the adventure spirit of you both.
0: <laughs> I, I do, Ilay. I also love the. There's a little bit of you in the in the. Uh, what's the worst that can happen? Like I love I love the kind of uh, openness to. Hey, let's see what happens, and it work. It it'll work, we'll figure it out, right?
1: Yeah, and Heather... Also in your bio, Rob mentioned that you have a, a lot of experience in startups. How do you uh, start getting involved in that world? Was it before you came to LA or did you just start right away when you arrived to LA?
2: Yeah, well, so when I first got to LA, I took a job at uh, the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. He became an executive coordinator for the GM at the time, which is a really beautiful full circle moment that we could get into later. But I had really no plans other than I just needed a job um, always considered myself somewhat of a multi-potentialite, which comes with big downfalls as well. But I explored many things for the first year that I was in L.A., including being a recording artist, being a writer. <laughs> And I'm sure there were others, but at, at that point, it was, it was those two particularly. And so I went from that to joining a magazine that was in its very early stages called Coco Eco Magazine. And this was when you know the eco green movement was emerging. It wasn't yet commonplace as it is today. And the whole point of the magazine was to really make green living sexy, And I had gone to school for journalism. So I joined as managing editor of Coco Eco Magazine. And uh, we were a digital magazine. We ended up going print into green printing and getting in Whole Foods and Barnes & Noble. And I really got a taste for business in that because I was like, I actually don't like writing that much. Like I'm okay at it, but I don't like writing. And then when you're a managing editor too, you're just managing other writers. And I didn't really love that aspect either. But I loved the business side. I loved being like, how do we make this bigger? How do we grow? How do we make money? So that's where I really got the taste for being an entrepreneur. So we had some early success there. And then from there, I got connected with the founder of Soothe. So South was massage on demand business. This is when, you know, on demand was really kind of in its early days, right? Uber had just come out and all these businesses were popping up that were doing on demand whatever, right? Everything was on demand.
0: Everything was the, the Uber, Uber of off. Uber of X. Yeah, Uber of X, yeah. we I think, is what we used to say.
2: Uh-huh. Exactly, right? And and Soothe was one of those. And so it was massage on demand, and I, I loved the idea of it, and I loved the business model. So I ended up coming on board with that as founding team. I was one of the first three people at Soothe, and I was the operator. And we grew it to multiple cities in the US. We grew it internationally. And today it's this kind of big thing. We got venture funding and that was where I really cut my teeth in business. It was the first time I'd been venture backed. It was the first time I was running a company. The the founder, Merlin Kaufman, brilliant guy, but really had no interest in actually running the company, which was great for me because I was like, I do. So, you know, I'll, I'll step in here and at that time, we had about 600 independent contractors that were massage therapists. We had a core team of about 20. Wow. Yeah, it was a really awesome business to be in. And we had a lot of early success that kind of allowed me to make a, a small name for myself in, in the tech space.
0: That's awesome. I, I mean, like, you, like you, you went from, I ventured across the desert in my car, slept on my friend's couch, and I had no idea what I was doing. You jumped from that pretty quickly into like, wait a minute, I, I'm running, I'm helping, scale, I'm helping scale a really cool concept in the early days. I'm doing the math in my head, like early 2010s era, right? And venture backable, scaled nationally, scaled globally. I mean, talk about you introduced yourself and said you're an opportunist. I mean, hello, like, talk about seizing an opportunity. That's fantastic.
2: Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's um those things can also backfire, right? Not everything works out, but for me it did. Right? Yeah. And I always say like I've always been very open to opportunities and to see where things go. I've never really lived my life in a structured way because for me it felt like I would be closing the door on many other opportunities if I had a very clear path. So my career and journey has been extremely winding, non-linear. And, you know, I had a very liberal upbringing. My mother um, and my stepfather who raised me had, for better or worse, very little expectations of me. Um, Not that they didn't think I could go on and achieve many things, but it was always just the narrative was, be happy. All we want for you is to be happy. And that really just opened up a world of paths for me, right? If the only goal is to be happy, then I can really do right. anything. Yeah. So you know, I wish there would maybe been a little more structure in my life and upbringing. I probably could have gotten further faster, maybe, or maybe not. Right? It's those.
0: Right. Who knows? No, and there would have been, and there would be trade offs, right? I mean, so you might have said, "Yeah, I had more structure, great," but then also, you know, I. I was frustrated by my parents because they, you know, they wanted me to become an accountant, right? Or they pushed me to do this specific thing. So like you said, and the maturity of looking back now as a parent yourself, life is is just a journey.
2: Just a journey. Yeah. And it's made me, you know, wonder how I raise my own daughter in regards to, you know, do I steer her on a path? Do I look for those early signs of, is she, you know, is she artistic? You know, do I send her to Parsons? Is that the play? Because <laughs> while my journey has been unconventional and very rewarding, you know, it's, it's been not without hardships and, you know, it's been tumultuous too, right? Like any winding path can be so.
0: Yeah. No, a hundred percent. It's funny. I was going to ask you that. I actually have that as a question I was curious about later. You've opened up the, the box now. So. I'm going to mesh it together a little bit, right? You work in a, in an organization and inside of a company culture where it's all about women empowerment. And and so you work in that space. You're surrounded by those types of people. You yourself are looking back now and saying like, okay, so how am I going to take my lessons as a young woman and how I was raised and apply that to my daughter. So I am curious what, like when you look ahead to a world when Paloma's 25 and she's starting her career, like what, like, what do you want the world to look like? What, how, do you, how do you want to prepare her?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And it's so much rooted, that question itself is rooted in what I'm doing today, right, with the Riveter and why we are doing what we are doing. It's for the next generation, truly. And I think we've seen in this age of technology and, and social media, really, Cultures can change very quickly. I mean, you even think about a few years ago, post Me Too movement, just how different culturally we are and then the pandemic. So we're really on a fast track and I don't think it's going to take a whole generation for things to be different for Paloma. I truly think the things we do today, we're going to see the effects of very, very soon, which is why I'm so impassioned by my work at The Riveter because I'm seeing, not in real time, but in very near term, how we can effectuate change for the women of tomorrow. And in terms of what I want to see, I mean, the Riveter's sole mission today, and it's it's not really a pivot to where we were before, but it's more of a focus point, is women making money. That is our North Star. We want to put money in women's bank accounts because we think money equals mobility, agency, economic spending power. I mean, if you put money in women's pockets, it's, it does, there's a ripple effect. And so I want my daughter to just have social mobility, economic mobility, and I want her to have freedom. I think that's what it really
1: all boils down to is uh, freedom to make choices. I want to know now that you start telling us a little bit about that. Tell us about the story of the Riveter. What's behind that? What is what is it about? Everything you want to add around it.
2: Yeah, for sure. My favorite topic. Um, so the Riveter was founded in 2017 by my co-CEO business partner Amy Nelson, who is just an like powerhouse of a human. And the original vision for the Riveter was that we were going to create spaces for women to gather. So we started out with co-working. We felt like there was power and magic that could be created when women come together, which was true. (laughs) Um, And, you know, we were truly kind of co-work focused. We had a lot of really great events. Uh, We were very politically engaged. I don't think you could talk about women's advancement without talking about politics but we were very intertwined with you know politics and activism and we did have a digital component to the business as well so we had 10 co-working spaces across the country and then we had a digital offering as well which was really what kind of carried us through the pandemic uh, in terms of our pivot right and we didn't realize at the time when we were building out a digital strategy that that was going to be the hero product that emerged out of all of this, you know, when people could no longer.
0: All- right. Early er, version one, so to speak, right? You, you're building the actually act, active and engaged and purposeful alternative to WeWork, who had engagement and, and purposefulness mostly just as part of their rhetoric, right? But, but really, we're just, but you guys are actually building the real on the ground kind of movement inside of a, hey, we have physical spaces. And then there was like this digital appendage, right? It was like, yeah, that's the other, we have to connect with them digitally. Yeah. Little did you know what was coming in the world?
2: That's exactly it. Little did we know, little did anyone know, but thank goodness that we did have a digital offering and we had built up a really robust newsletter audience as well as a social media following. So that was huge for us. So when we ended up having to close our, our working spaces, which we decided we were going to do pretty early on in the pandemic. And it was a decision ultimately that saved us. We had about six yeah. million million worth of lease liability that we had to negotiate out of. And it was intense, but we knew that if we could get out of these leases, we might just might have a lifeline.
0: Cause you and you, you all had raised uh, like a, relatively, pretty significant amount of venture capital. I mean, not relative to the WeWorks of the world, right? But in the space, you had raised a pretty significant amount of capital and had huge plans, right? So, so like, how, t- tell us a little bit about that. Like, how does, how does that, okay, we're going to make a strategic tactical decision. Like, we've got to try and get out of these leases if we can, that can save us. But also, I had to imagine, I mean, the world was coming apart at the seams for all of us during the pandemic. And and when those decisions are being made, you're having to have conversations with investors, and are mm-hmm. there people? Are there people in those? Co- and and again, you're not co-CEO at that time yet, <laughs> right? So so you're 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 running the operations of the business that is now going to shrink and change and, and adapt, but you're obviously a really important part of the puzzle. So I like help us understand kind of just the mindset, the energy that was going on at that time.
2: Yeah, I mean, so we obviously weren't unique in this, but we were getting a lot of different information from the news, from people, uh, our members, you know, that was our core focus. How do we continue to serve our members? And then a lot of advice and opinions from our advisors and our board, right? And everybody kind of had a different take, like, we just didn't know how long the pandemic was going to last. So I think the decision to get out of the leases very early was one that was at least supported by our board and was met with a different response from our members at the time. Some people were very supportive of that. Some people felt like it was the wrong move, but we just went with what we felt like was the safest option, putting people's health before anything else. And then, and that of our employees too, right? The the safety of everybody. And then what was going to allow us to essentially stay alive, right, is was to lose these liabilities. So I feel like we didn't really have any other choices. And sometimes that's the best position to be in, even though it was a terrible position to be in. It was like, we don't have another path. So let's go with the one we have. But th- there was a lot of difficult conversations across the board from employees. I mean, everybody dealt with this, right? Letting people go and telling members that, you know, this thing that we had built together, because we truly built a community. It wasn't, it, this was such a, a symbiotic relationship between our members, our team, everybody involved. These conversations were very hard. And the hardest conversations of all were with the landlords, because, you know, it was just nobody, nobody wins
0: in that situation. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's their business, right? So their business is you as a client. And so, and so then their business, the unknowns of what's going to happen to their business in the pandemic, especially their business, landlords of commercial office space, right? And so then you're having to come to them as the customer and say, hey, we can't do this. Like we need, we, you, you and I either need to end this and die together, or we need to figure out a way to end this so that we both at least survive.
2: Yeah, that's exactly it. And you know those conversations where we can't do this, and their and their response was, "We can't do this either."
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so then, like, what happens? Like, we either grab hands and jump off the cliff together, or we figure out a way to gently walk down the hill, and maybe we, maybe one or both of us live.
2: Yeah, yeah, a very, a, a truly wild experience, honestly, and conversations I hope to never have again. But yeah, I mean, at that time, I can really only speak more so to, while I was part of some of the lease negotiations, I can speak more to just the difficulties with managing member and employee expectations.
1: And then how you become a co-CEO.
0: The rebirth story.
1: And also, also I want to know, I think it's the first time we have a guest that is a co-CEO of a company. So I want to know more about how is it to share this role that such an important role in a company and even even more having passed all this reinvention? So I would love to know more about that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll start um, with how it even came to be. So the Riveter, and this is kind of common knowledge at, at this point amongst anybody who follows along with us, but we really did not think that we were going to survive even after we got out the lease liabilities. We didn't really see a path forward. Um, And I was one of three people that stayed on to completely wind the spaces and the operations down. But it was kind of a known thing that really everybody was going to leave. And that if we could just keep some of our digital assets running, let's keep the lights on even if no one's home, let's see what happens type uh, attitude. So I left and the Riveter's founder even left, right? everybody left for the most part. We had a less than skeleton crew and I founded Coterie. So Coterie was, you know, me just taking all my learnings from the coworking space and then all of my time in technology and the marketplace tech world. And with this mindset of how do we remove almost all of the overhead and liabilities of operating physical spaces and just get really, really nimble while still giving everybody what they need and want, right? And everyone was working from home. I think people were getting the Zoom fatigue. They wanted the contact high being in a public place, even if they couldn't be more than six feet close to somebody. And hotels just came to mind, hotels for co-working, because one, they are the OG co-working spaces anyway and two they were following because they had to all of the safety protocols in high measure right and they have to be staffed the bread and butter of a hotel are its rooms so a lot of these public spaces are um, underutilized and they're not necessarily revenue generating so I saw a real opportunity there um, and I just kind of bet on myself I, I built the app um, with my partner, Petter, Lidberg in Sweden, he's a developer, and we just went in on it together. And we built an app, and I started making partnerships with hotels who were very open to the conversation of just having people come and work out their lobbies. And so that's kind of how, how I went forward with my time during the
0: pandemic. First of all, genius. I, I think the, the whole, just the concept of the Coterie Club is genius. And, and here are hoteliers at the time, I can imagine you talking to them, who are desperate to just have any foot traffic. Like just put anybody in our facility, please. Right. Yeah, that, that was exactly
2: it. Hoteliers were extremely open to this and, you know, they were excited by the prospect of someone even purchasing a coffee while they mm-hmm. were. They were
0: right. It. Cause they're, cause they're sitting on mostly vacant hotels that aren't people aren't traveling. Right. So I, I mean.
2: staff, Right. That had to be staffed literally with a security guard. I mean, and that was a whole other thing during the pandemic was just, Kind of dealing with who was coming into the hotel and keeping safety protocols at play. And so, yes, we had one side of the marketplace solved for, right? Hotels wanted this and they were very open. And then on the other side of the marketplace, we have people that, you know, and this was varying, not everybody felt this way, but you had a lot of people, certainly after the vaccines came, that were like, I'm ready to get back out, not ready to sign a contract with a co working space or you know, spend really any type of money on on a place to work because working from home is free. We don't know where the pandemic is heading. So the beauty of Coterie Club was just, you know, you remove all the overhead and the app is really doing all the work for us. And we could make it extremely cheap to have people sign up. Um, and hotels were offering all kinds of benefits like you know, money off eating at their restaurants, private rooms, day rates, et cetera. Um, so we were able to offer a Coterie Club membership for $25 a month, and it gave access to every hotel in our network. So it was a, a, an idea to meet the moment that I thought had long-term potential, even post-pandemic. Yeah, so the other side of the marketplace was the people using the app and the co-workers, and Amy and I had al- always stayed in contact uh, throughout the pandemic and just were checking in on each other. And we were talking one day, and I said, why don't we partner up? And why don't we give a a rebirth on this? And she was totally open to. So we decided to, um, to go in on it together. And here we are.
0: And, the, and so, so the coterie gets rolled up inside of the brand that you, that you both had, had collaborated to build and voila.
2: Yeah, that's exactly it. So, uh, the river essentially acquired the coterie and I came on as co-CEO to run it with Amy and we were able to even bring on new investment. And it was just kind of this magical thing where the stars aligned for all of us. And yeah, we've been going ever since and rolling out new products and new things and we're, we're back. We're alive again. So,
0: so, I, so I have a quick question, because it's a fun personal story. What was the first Riveter Spaces, the new Coterie Club, was the first location here in LA?
2: Yes, and thank you for bringing me back to that, because the first location was the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel.
0: Boom. <laughs> Full wow. circle to the girl who landed in LA and got a random job at a hotel in Hollywood.
2: Yeah, Exactly. Um, and the same general manager who I used to be the assistant to is the one I did the deal with. And he was like, I love this. Let's go.
0: And I bring that up because you, Amy and myself all converted our Twitter friendships into an actual in-person relationship in the lobby of the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel as you launched that service back. What now? Like a year and a half ago? A year? Yeah. Something
2: like that. Yeah. That's right. We had our launch party there. And I'm not sure what this means, but all roads lead back to the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel.
0: I mean, literally, like in my life, they do because I live up the street. So yes, all roads do lead back to the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. But apparently in your journey from from Arizona to the UK to Arizona to LA, it all does center around that big, beautiful hotel, which Ile, even though she's never seen it yet, it is her favorite obsession is to be obsessed over that hotel because Ile has a long life Love affair with Marilyn Monroe and everything Marilyn Monroe related, <laughs> and so yes. I have constantly reinforced <laughs> to her that that is the hotel that Marilyn Monroe lived in for like two years. So. Yeah,
2: that indeed, yes, they have- everything <laughs> connects.
0: <laughs> I'm telling you, Heather said it, it. All roads lead to the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. So
1: yeah, I, I will have to go now. Like it's a lot of signals now. Fun fact for you,
2: Ellie, not to get off topic.
1: But um, there is a vault. I don't know if it's still there, but there
2: is a vault in the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel basement that has a lot of her artifacts and things from when she lived there. What? Wow! If they go missing, so okay.
0: now you, wow, you realize, awesome. yeah, you realize when LA comes to visit. Yeah, because
1: I have seen uh, some photos of that time, and I love it. But I would love to be there. She comes to visit
0: LA this summer. She's definitely going to be like Rob. Call Heather. I need Heather to take me to the Hollywood Roads Hotel so that she can, introduce me. yeah, <laughs> so she can show me some of this cool, stuff.
1: like the experience, yeah. the full experience, <laughs> absolutely. And then we can all co
0: work in the lobby as part of Riveter Spaces membership that I have. Beautiful. That's that's the vision. So so big rebirth. I mean, literally like phoenix from the ashes type of rebirth, serendipitously, opportunistically. I don't think, frankly, these stories, not just about Riveter, but about any company get told often enough, right? It's like, hey, we almost died and we didn't and we kept it together and then we completely reinvented with the same intention. So what does it look like today? How many members? W- what's its purpose? What's its core product? How, where's What's coming in the coming years? Tell us the, tell us the now and future story.
2: Yeah, so the Riveter today, we have a all-up audience of about 500,000. And we just launched last month. Huge. Um, yeah, we grew, we grew the audience even throughout the pandemic and we continue to grow. And I think it really is. It's important to say that, you know, the, the values of the Riveter and the mission of the Riveter is really what people love and why they keep coming to us. Right. And that hasn't changed. This idea of advancing women personally, professionally, is, has always been what The Riveter is about. And we've just found new ways to serve our audience and our members. So we launched membership in February of this year. And we have three tiers of membership. The first tier is um, The Riveter Classic. So it's for $39 a month. You can get access to our Riveter Build courses. So these are courses to upskill where we partner with domain experts to talk about all the tactical things that an entrepreneur or a woman that is looking to go in business for herself or even somebody in the corporate world would want to know. We have Riveter Spaces, which is our, we've just talked about, our co-working and gathering events option. And most recently, we have... River to Work. So we recently acquired a company called Alibi. This was a freelancer marketplace for freelancers. And currently we just launched fractional support as well, which I think again really meets the moment of where we're at with all of these layoffs, et cetera. So those are our three main products. And then we have kind of our media arm and division because we do have such a big audience. So we continue with our newsletter and um, Amy has a podcast and all these other great things. We do events around the country and great partnerships, etc. But our Riveter Classic membership is just $39 a month. And it gets you access to five Riveter Build courses, community, and some other really great perks as well. And then we have our Pro membership and our Two Percent Club. Um, And Pro membership is just more access to Riveter Build courses, access to be on the freelancer marketplace, and a Riveter Spaces membership. And then our Two Percent Club, which is the most exciting one for me, because I think it's the so much value packed into this membership. The Two Percent Club is really geared towards you know the underserved female entrepreneur. And I will mention, we don't discriminate, by the way. All are welcome, but we do focus. We do have a female focus. So it's called the 2% Club because only 2% of women entrepreneurs ever break one million in revenue. The number of CEOs in America rose only by 2% last year. And female founders receive less than 2% of all VC dollars. So this is a really underserved group of people And we wanted to create a membership that had so much value in it and was really helping people kind of at every level and in every way, like a really 360 approach to how we amplify women, how we help them get funding, how we have courses to, you know, help them upskill and land the jobs. So it's an application only membership, but um, we have lots in there and um, yeah, we're really excited about that one because I think, there's not really much out there that is helping women in a really meaningful way.
0: You know what? I, what's fascinating to me about
2: it—it
1: seemed impressive. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it is right. That's we were both thinking the same thing. What's fascinating to me is—is is you seem—I don't want to say it's not all things to all people, but in a world where everything gets super narrowed down to tiny little point solutions or narrow communities, you're saying we've got support and programming and products for women freelancers, for women entrepreneurs and founders, for women executives and workers. And that's, I mean, that's super powerful.
2: Yeah, thank you, because I think, you know, they, they need help in all of those areas. I, I think you can't do one really without the other. So yeah, the 2 yeah, was really um, born of, of all of those
0: things. No, that's awesome. And uh, and as you said, at a moment in time when there, there are, let's just say controversies and issues with some clubs and groups where it's like too narrow or too exclusionary or very discriminatory openly. Um, so you're, you're, you're kind of saying we're the big tent, um, but yet we're not going to ignore you. We're going to provide value to, to you at each step along or stage of your journey. That's, that's really, really cool. Very important.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think, I think with that, we think about the future of, of the Riveter we are launching something very soon, and I can give you the exclusive on this. Um, we have <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> might not be uh, that exciting um, if it airs later the next week, but we are launching uh, the co-working coalition. So this is part of the Riveter um, Riveter Spaces vertical, but we are partnering with co-working spaces across the country, and we're forming a coalition. And we really think the future of certainly women-focused organizations and companies is for us to band together. And this idea of ally- allyship, this, nobody is competition to us. We have a large reach. We have a recognized brand. We had venture funding to the sum of $30 million, right? So we have the resources behind us. And we want to reach across, you know, the aisle and across the country and bring people into our fold and help them. So we're all about coalitions. We're about partnerships. We don't see anybody as competition, even if they're in the same field as we are. We're better together. We can all help each other. And these partnerships can be, you know, they can look different across the board, but
1: we should um, we're stronger together. We're better together. That's really our philosophy going forward. I love it. <laughs> I mean, all that you have told us is impressive. I mean, you have support a lot of women. It's a huge number. I cannot believe it. It's a huge community. And we always, in the show, in, in previous shows, when we have women guests, we always tend to ask about the challenges of being a woman in entrepreneurship and all the, in Latin America, we call it machismo. Obviously, it is in every part of the world. But what's your perspective on that? How have you seen the woman empowerment in the last years and you as a woman uh, leading a company? Do you think that there's still a lot of challenges to be solved or what, what is your perspective on that? Yeah,
2: I think, so a couple of things with that. First, I'll just say that, you know, absolutely there are many, many challenges that women still face and I think a lot of them can be directly, there's a direct line back to childcare and the childcare issue that we have in this country and many countries have, which is how you solve for it. Childcare is typically considered a, you know, the mother's role and problem to solve for. A problem in the best way imaginable, but you know, it's hard for women to go beyond middle management and return to work even at all, if they don't have sufficient childcare in place and are able to afford that childcare. And so you see men who have a uninterrupted career trajectory and women have a disrupted career timeline and, you know, 40% of women who are mothers do not return to the workforce. And these are qualified women that the workforce would be happy to have otherwise, right? But they just can't solve for this piece. So I think if we can solve for that piece, we are moving women along massively. That is a government level issue. But I think that, you know, there's things that we can do in a grassroots way and efforts that we can make that are going to be impactful. Um and again, that's why the Riveter is leading with putting women in, putting money in women's pockets, right? If we can empower women economically, then maybe they can afford that childcare if they want it, right? And that's a choice too. We're not pushing everybody to, yeah. you know, uh, not... Belly. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it really just depends what you're after, but you should have the choice. And so, I mean, and there's many others that I, I'm, we don't even have enough time to get into all of the other challenges that women face, but... I will say just kind of back to this idea of allyship and partnerships and coalitions, you know, this is um, maybe not something I would have said five years ago, but I believe that, you know, men very much have to be a part of this solution and conversation. And I always felt that way, but I feel it even more now because I think, I think that men are maybe even feeling a little bit, alienated from it. I think we're getting into certainly some men that I've spoken to, men in leadership positions, they're not really sure where they fit in. And at The Riveter, we want men to feel like while we are a little bit political and we are activists, we want to invite men to join us in that we all win, right? All boats rise with the tide. And we don't want anybody to be afraid to get into that conversation with us. We are not you know, we're not out to get anybody. We want to work together. Men need to feel safe to come into that conversation too. So yeah, that's generally our philosophy on how we kind of move forward and effectuate change in in those ways.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Speaking for all men right now uh, on the show, I'll I'll just (laughs) just say I welcome the invite. Thank you to allyship. And I would suspect that yes, right? We all, we need to, we need to work together. The truth is, we just need to not invite the assholes. Like, let's just, not, let's just not invite the asshole men. Let's just invite the good guys who want to build a better world for, for all of us, which includes 51% of the population, which is you all. Indeed.
2: I mean do not even welcome the assholes, honestly. I'm just of the mindset.
0: <laughs> okay. You're a you're, 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 you're bigger, you're bigger vision than I am.
2: I just, you know, I've lived in, in this world where if you are surrounded by too many people that agree with you, then you, it, it's an echo chamber. We need the assholes and we need them to even move an inch in our direction to be effective. And again, I wouldn't have felt that like five years ago, right? I would have said, you know, screw them. We're, you know, you're not one of us, but we all actually have a common goal. We all just want to be happy and live a prosperous life. I believe that. And we might have different ideas about how we do it and how we get there, but I'm very willing to have the conversation.
0: Good for you. That's you're you're a better, you're a better person than I am. That's awesome. Um, uh, I, I, I have one question I want to, I want you to shout out your partner in crime in this whole thing, your co-CEO, Amy Nelson, who, who is, I'll say from my point of view, as you've already said, an incredible woman, um, a powerhouse is, is a perfect adjective to describe her. Um, she's, she's, uh, we won't get into the whole story. It's a whole other series of podcasts, uh, right. But she's, she's gone through just an incredible period of adversity in her life. Um, on multiple fronts, as they would say in military speak over the last three, four years. And Riveter was just one part of that. So I, I just want like anything that you'd like us to know about your co-CEO before we get to the end.
2: Yeah. I, you know, Amy, is one of the most resilient, brilliant people that uh, I've ever known and had the pleasure to work with. And in terms of our co-CEO, roles, we complement each other beautifully. And I would just, I would plug being a co-CEO to anybody that's even weighing up whether that is right for them um, and their company, because being a CEO is really lonely. And And Amy will tell anyone that when she was a CEO on her own, it was a lonely and can be a kind of scary thing. I think it's a good thing to share that with somebody and to share it at that level Uh, when you really have a confidant and somebody with a shared um, agenda and goal um, in mind. So we share the role really well. And I think it works because Amy is, um, we have very different skill sets. Amy is extremely good at storytelling. She is a storyteller and and she's uh, very good at business development and partnerships. And anybody who speaks to her is immediately just, you know, in awe of her and, and, and really anything that she does, right. They want to be involved. And I get it because I was the same way when I spoke to Amy, I was like, what are you doing and how do I be a part of it? Which is awesome. And I would say that's not really a strength of mine. I'm an operator. I love business. I like all the ins and outs. I like strategy. I, I like numbers. Um, I have almost a 0% desire to be a public person, and I think it's what allows me to take risks in business is that I know there's a very private side of me that I get to hold sacred. But she's really good. Amy is really good at going out and being a public person, and that works out really well for us. <laughs> and we just like each other. I I really just like her. And to say that she's been through a lot is an understatement. But she's done it with grace, and she's you know managed to. Um, still operate even on days when she thinks she's operating at 20% is typically someone else's a hundred (laughs) percent. So (laughs) yeah,
1: the imposter syndrome. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Heather, we just hit the last part of the show where you become the mentor of the day. Please share with us three pieces of advice for our audience. It can be whenever you want. It could be about business or or more personal ones. So we are ready to listen.
2: All right. Well, number one, go to the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. It's where everything happens. It's where, where the matter begins. Um, yes. I'm just kidding. No, I would say I would say number one, just life advice, always ask yourself what's the worst that could happen? And then go for it. As long as that worst that could happen is not destitution or dying. I mean, just go for it. It's all an experience. In business, uh, one thing that has really been powerful for me in my working life, and that is learning how to automate, delegate, and eliminate. I am a master eliminator. I literally look at my day, my calendar, I say, what needs to go? I'm really good at delegating.
0: And it's, oh, okay. And it's pushing your
2: work off on someone else. Delegation is finding out what only you can do and what you are best at, and then everything else can typically be done by someone else if you have the luxury of that. Um, and automation, just leverage technology anytime that you can um, make things more efficient. Um, and the third one, I would just say I'm going to take a leaf out of my mother's book:
1: be happy. It's all that matters. Okay. Awesome, simple,
0: and I love that. Powerful, yeah, beautiful, great advice, and I love you tied your you tied it all back to your story, right? You tied it all back to yourself, which was awesome.
2: Tied it back to myself, a specialty of mine.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, in this in this context, it's all it's it's done with the best of intentions, right? So no, it's uh, it, it's um, I said to Illy not long ago, and to Deanna on our team, uh, I said. You know i i know the riveter story i know i had the chance to meet amy but we had known each other online for a bit before that um and then i met you as a result of that and i said and i say this with all love and respect to amy right but part of it is i want to hear the other part of the story right so so to me when we talked and i saw you at that event not long ago and then i was like we got to get heather on the show like i want i want to hear her story so this, is, this has been a joy selfishly for me today um, because it is it is a really fascinating story, your personal story. The Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel is the catalyst for everything in life. Which is Incredible, <laughs> right? I mean that like that is just, that's the that may be the best part of the story ever. Uh, and then just how it leads to where you are. But the, it's just you know very intentional. Um, it, it, it's just we're really really grateful that you came. You're not a public person, as you said. Um, I knew I was asking you to stretch a little bit to do this. Um, but you you articulate the story of the Riveter and and, and your journey just beautifully. So both Ailey and I are super grateful. Anytime we can have strong women on this show to talk about how we need to empower more women, um, that's why this show exists. So uh, we're super grateful. So thank you for spending some time with us today.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. And um,
1: yeah, I've loved chatting with you both. So appreciate it. Thank you so much, Thank you so much, Heather. And before you go, please uh, tell us where we can find you on social media. So, at The Riveter
2: Co is our handle for Twitter and Instagram. And we're on TikTok, little note. Okay. That. Awesome. <laughs> With the same handle. And then, TheRiveter.co is the website as well. And you will find all things about membership and all things Riveter there. Um, and then, for me personally, my. Instagram is private and not that I don't want, we don't
0: want anybody to be, yeah, exactly. We could find you on LinkedIn by looking for Heather Carter and the person that looks like you.
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Elaine, thanks.
1: Thank you so much, Heather.
0: Great to see you. As always, we thank you so much for listening. Today's show was recorded in Los Angeles and Guadalajara, produced by Deanna Bernal in Mexico City and promoted by the content team at Growth Hacks in Tijuana, Mexico. You can always find and share our show via any popular podcasting platform, as well as find us on social media at Mentors Today on Instagram. If you'd like to connect with our hosts, you can find them on Twitter or Instagram at I am Rob Ryan or at J A F. Gracias, thank you, and we'll see you next time.